So happy spring break to our students and happy spring break to our parents as we're enjoying this and to our teachers. <laughs> um, you know, the, the folks at work, it's funny that it's different all around the country. And one of the weird things about uh, remote work is that we're not all on the same schedule. So like the, 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 the vacation schedule for everybody in the office is like off by a week for every single person. So it's like the next three weeks, it's going to be chaotic in, in, in my office. I don't know what it's like for you guys. Um, so I, I was thinking about this when I was preparing for this. It, it's been, uh, unfortunately, probably too long before I've made Lord of the Rings references. So uh, it, it's time to fix that. And I don't know if you know this, but they almost made bad mistakes when they were going to make the movies. So th this is how it could have been. Given the chance in an alternate universe, maybe there's a Marvel reference for you, we could have had Sean Connery as Gandalf. Th make of that what you will. You have Nicolas Cage as Aragorn. There was, was going to be Tim Curry, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, they were going to have David Bowie as Elrond. So th this, this was what they were going for. Some of it was probably going to... You could probably say the same thing maybe for, for Bowie and with Sean Connery, but it's definitely true with Nicolas Cage. No matter what film he is in, you're now in a Nicolas Cage movie, right? If you don't know him as an actor, he has an... He's pretty bad, arguably. I don't know if he's going to watch this tape. I'm sorry, Nick, if you're watching this. He's probably not. But, but he has an overwhelming stage presence, right? Whenever he's on the screen, you know what you're in for. And I, I got a, a good you know, representation here of some of the many faces of Nicolas Cage. Um, you know, how could you, how could you act, I, I, I understand, Gus, how could you act normally when you're next to this? Like, like how, uh, though, I think, I think that, well, this is, this is, I'm going to get to that in a second. You can go back to the other one for right now. But, but no, we'll go, it's all right. We'll go to that one. Imagine you're going to the next Superman movie and all of a sudden it's not a Superman movie. It's now a Nicolas Cage movie right? It's no longer about the Cape Crusade, not Cape Crusader, see the Cape Crusader, that's Batman, right? See, all right, thank you all, keep, gotta keep me, gotta keep me straight. <laughs> but you end up, you, you go to see Superman and all of a sudden you're in a Nicolas Cage movie and it is weird and wild and you don't know what's going to come next. This is going to be scriptural, y'all don't, don't worry about it too much. Because here's the thing, I'll just give you the, the cliff notes, jump off the cliff, answer for this. Everything is different when Jesus is involved, right? As soon as Jesus is on the scene, you are now in a Jesus moment, all right? That same way, you, you get the connection here? This is going to get even better, don't worry. Hold, hold with me. You think you've got the system worked out, right? You're Paul. You've got a system worked out. You have a plan. You know where you think you're going to go. You've got good roots. You've got a system. You've got society working around you. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, it's now it's a Jesus Christ movie. You know, like, oh, that's what we're doing. He has overwhelmed the system with his presence. He has changed the narrative because he is now on the scene. And I think that this is very important. Um, you know what to do whenever you're in a story. You've got good roots. You've got a history. You've got this idea. We talked about this last week. Paul kind of had a do-it-yourself religion. He had this idea of saying, I know what this is all about. I have the answers. I have a system. I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to keep going until the kingdom comes, literally. <laughs> and then Jesus shows up and drastically rewrites the story that he is in. Judaism was, was largely understood to be an orthopraxy. 
You might not know this word. And orthopraxy means correct practice, all right? And Christianity, you might have heard the term, is called an orthodoxy. That means we have the correct documents. No, not really. That was a joke for my Greek-speaking friends. Uh, it means that you've got the correct beliefs, right? So you're, you're moving from one system of correct practice. I just have to do the right stuff. I just have to, to wash myself the right ways. I just have to go through the rituals enough times, and that correct practice is what brings me into the, into the family of God. And then Jesus comes, and it's no longer about these things. And now all of a sudden we're thinking it has to be what I believe. Now I'm going to say, I'll get more into this later, maybe it's not one or the other, maybe we've got a little bit of both. But the question we asked last week was, could the bones of Paul live? If you remember, Jesus was a practicer of Judaism, but he fulfilled the law and the prophets, right? It was now a Jesus movie. Jesus has given us a whole new, well, everything, because he hasn't sinned. He hasn't given over to death. This whole series we've been talking about, can these bones live? We can put the title slide back up, right? Can these bones live is the question. And if we're talking all of a sudden now not about Nicolas Cage, we're not talking about Paul, we're not talking about Ezekiel, we're talking about Jesus, can we still ask the same questions, right? This is where maybe we're thinking this whole paradigm of things that we understand is now taking an abrupt turn because we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God himself. Can these bones live? Maybe it doesn't seem to make as much sense. He hasn't sinned. He isn't given over to death. He preaches and practices the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God with authority. He changes society, religion, the physical bodies, our relationships by introducing God's rule and reign. But I want you to know it's not because death is absent from his life. There are dry bones around him. They're before him. They're behind him. I think it's uh, good that we take a quick look at, at Lazarus. A quick Bible quiz. Anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? The answer, it was a yes or no question, y'all. I didn't ask for what it was. The answer was, yes, you do. So what's the context of, of, of Jesus wept? <laughs> he was, for the recording, I'll make sure we get that. He was crying. That is, that is technically accurate. Um, <laughs> so the context of Jesus wept was Lazarus, his friend. Um, Jesus was told that his friend was sick and dying, and so what did he do? He tarried. He waited. And he finished his meal. He got himself ready up, and you know, then they, they went on the journey as they were planning on doing. And then what happened in the, in the meanwhile? Lazarus, spoiler, died. Um, Jesus went. His friend was dead. There was a casual blame being laid at his feet. If you had been here, Lord, this would not have happened. And at this point right here, pause in this moment, okay? Jesus wept. Now, think about that. that the Lord of all, over life and death itself, who had not sinned, who, who had the, 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 the knowledge of the creation of the whole universe— with spoken words, is there, knowing that he could have gone, he could have prevented this. And his disciples realize, we've seen him heal people before. We realize he could have prevented this. But he waited, and now our brother, Lazarus, is dead. And we look to this Savior, we look to this man who has promised us everything, and what is he doing? He's crying. Death is around him. 
It's not that he was avoiding this. It's not that this was nowhere close to him. He was in the midst of sorrow and loss as his friend died. So can these bones live? We know the end of the story. We know they can. We know the whole Lazarus come forth great you know, story there. Lazarus comes forth still in the, in the grave clothes. We know that these bones can live. Did Jesus know what would happen? I think he did. Or else why would he even think to speak those words, right? That would be strange if he did otherwise. But what did he do in that moment? Did he skip ahead saying, y'all don't even worry about this. This, this is nothing. Don't, I've got all the, you, you, don't, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think that this is big, let me show what's going to happen when I'm put in the grave. You know, none of that. There's a real deep lesson for us in this. Jesus wept. He saw death. He felt its loss and its sting. And he sat with it. And we want to go from victory to victory. We want, we want to keep the, the high notes. We want to keep this thing going because can these bones live? Let's get, just get a quick answer and just move on with ourselves. Because come on, who wants to stay in that place of looking at this? But when we look to our Lord, how he handled this. Knowing the end of the story, but being in the middle of it, he wept. This is the beauty of creation. This is the full life. This is the wonderful, terrible joy knowing that our sandcastles will get washed away, but yet we continue to build them. And that kind of makes it all the more wonderful while they're around. So can these bones live seems to be something that still grips Jesus. So to go back to Nicolas Cage for a second, you know, Superman? Really? Can you, can you see Nicolas Cage as Superman? The problem with Superman, you, you might know this, is, is, is what? He's really overpowered. Like there's, a, there's an old show from the 1970s, a Superman show, and I, I, I lost interest whenever Superman rearranged the molecules in his body to walk through a wall. <laughs> so I was like, if he has that power, we also know in the movies he, he, he turned back time by flying very quickly around the earth, right? What can you do about a guy like that? You, you, you can't beat him, so they have to bring up kryptonite, you know, this whole way of trying to, to keep him down because otherwise there's just too much going on. Um, but Jesus is no Superman. Sit on that. And I mean that as the highest compliment. Because he took on flesh. He knew death and sorrow and loss. And he sat with it when he didn't have to. When he knows the end of the story. And he has control to some extent as he gives it to the Father. We'll get into that some other time maybe. But he has control over the timeline. And in that moment, he sits with it. And I think there's a lesson for those of us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He knew death. He mourned death. He tasted death. And with that, welcome to Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry. The, the recognition of him as King of kings and Lord of lords. The long-awaited-for Messiah coming into the room thinking, finally, everything's going to be made right. This is the hope of Israel coming in. Everything's going to be as it should be. And it is preceded and is followed up by death. And I think sometimes we forget this in our Bible. I've actually got, whenever I got the scripture, which we'll read in just a minute, your Bible might have these little subtitles in it. And if you look at those subtitles, I'll have the ones that are in the NIV up on the screen here. But it really paints this picture of death, celebration, death, <laughs> you know? And it's like, what a wild ride we have here whenever we look at these scriptures. So I think we really need to dig into this. Um, we've been talking about the, the death, 
and 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 try and these dry bones very prophetically, very metaphorically, right? In a lot of these contexts, quick commercial, y'all. Good Friday, it really does matter. Um, I, I think as as the church, I mean that universally, the church, when we present the wrong picture of our Jesus to the world, they think we're worshiping Superman. They think we're worshiping something, some historic figure. They think we're worshiping all these things of which he is not. And to have an adequate representation of our Messiah to this world matters so much. Because then people who have suffered loss, they think, God must not love me. Or his power must not be real because otherwise, why are we doing this? Here we are understanding our Jesus wept when he knew the end of the story. And when we have our Good Friday, I think it's so prone to skip to Sunday morning and to say, but Sunday's coming, right? And there's an element that we always want to hold on to hope. We understand that he is, that there's always hope. But sometimes we sit with Friday, the death of our friend, the death of our Savior, and really let that do its good work, that we can understand correctly all these things. It's where we're confronted with the dry bones of a crucified Savior, of hope deferred and a sick heart, of no quick answers. It's where the question almost was barely even hoped to be asked, the darkness of the day for those who are looking at Jesus saying, can these bones live? They had put their hope in Jesus, and he was dead. And nobody was praying for him to come back from the dead. Nobody was thinking that they could do that ministry. Nobody thought that that this was going to be a continuation of the story. They thought that this was the end of their story. They were afraid. They wept. John 12, quick clip notes here. He was anointed for death. He comes as king. He predicts his death. Death is behind him. Death is before him. He's surrounded in the moment. All right, so this is death behind him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. We just talked about him, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. I mean, the guy brings you back from the dead. The least you could do is have him over for dinner, right? That, that makes sense. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, anybody before you read it, guess who? We know. Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John, I I feel like John, knowing Judas, (laughs) is painting a pretty clear picture here. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now notice that. Is this the day of his burial? Not in the literal sense, but this is the day of his burial. Death is before him. He, the, the end is, is clear now. He knows that he's on the path to the cross. He knows what's before him. This is the day of his burial. So for this to be broken right now on his feet is appropriate. He's being anointed for his burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Death is all around him. Political insurrection. People are getting angry. You know, he, you do a good thing and, and you get crucified. 
literally for it, right? That this is not a good time to be a follower of Jesus as things are reaching this boiling point. It's going to be this flashpoint of, of anger and frustration and disappointment. And, and what is he going to do, this Messiah who wept when one of his friends died? And then we go from that. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Here's the nice little subtitle. Boom, there we go. This kind of sets the stage for what's to come next. We go from death and terror and fear and worry to the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. You realize how that keeps coming up? Because really, that's a big deal. <laughs> so the Pharisees... Um, Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So you get this hopeful moment, right? We've got death preceding him, terrible stuff. But now, look, people are starting to see. They realize. So maybe it's not so bad. You go, he can come in as king and everything's going to be great. And then we go from that high point to Jesus predicts his death. Subtitle, <laughs> here we go. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We had the day of his burial. Now we have the hour. You see things are getting a little bit closer to hand. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Quick aside, I love that so much. Because I feel like this is how people respond when we hear the Lord speak. Some people hear the Lord. Some people demean it and they say, oh, that was, that was good. It was godly, but it was probably an angel. Other people just hear thunder, right? How amazing that, that there's, in this one moment, that this clear picture of how we respond. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. And the people who are at thunder were very confused. The crowd that was there heard it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. The voice was for your benefit, not mine. 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, 
before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Sounds like his hope is going away too. His bones are getting a little dry, you know. He's got this hour of his death now right at hand. So when this question was asked through this entire series, can these bones live? I told you to pay attention to what? Ezekiel's answer, which is what? You alone know, Lord. There's this beautiful submission to God's plans. There's this beautiful picture of, of, of not asserting our own selves, saying it, to, to realize the problem at hand and to say it really is pretty bad. To look at this and to say, no, 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 I understand that, that, that God's who he is, but my friend's dead. But there, there's foreign invaders taking over our land, but we're in slavery, but we're in exile. Whatever those bones are, to look at that problem and to say, it's beyond me. God, this, this has got to be up to you. That's been the paradigm for all of history. And so now we have this with Jesus. Can these bones live? Jesus answers, John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Can these bones live? Jesus says, I have the authority. We're no longer in, in, a, in, a, in a Paul movie. We're no longer in a Nicolas Cage movie. We are in a Jesus Christ movie because the, the story is different. Because why? Because we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about something different than everything that came before. This is not business as usual. He is not another prophet. He's not another teacher. He is the Messiah. And when he shows up, the game is different. The story is different. The, the understanding of everything that we have to date has shifted. Yet even with this authority and with this power, even with foreknowledge, I think it's good to look again at Lazarus and his weeping. And on the night of his death, he asked for another way. He knew he had authority. He knew that this is from John 10, right? We, we know where this thing is going. And, and the, the, he's got this idea. He knows where he's going from this whole time, from understanding the prophets, from talking to his father. But yet still in the hour, he still was saying, Lord, is there another way? The question's important for us to consider from a, a few angles. I, I've preached this sermon before, right? And, and Leah kind of alluded to this. Did Jesus need to die so that he could be resurrected? Or did he need to be resurrected because he died? Now, that, that sounds like a lot of word salad. So let me, let me break that down for you just a little bit, right? Because we end up with dramatically different theologies with how we answer that question, all right? So if he needed to be resurrected, then the most important thing was, was um, that his death was this required step to get him there. So the idea then is that the important part is his power, right? The resurrection shows his power. So the important thing is we need to show that Jesus conquers death. So in order for him to conquer death, well, he has to die. It's a required step to get to this point of saying his power is what we want to see. And now you have Pentecostal churches. <laughs> if he needed to die to do penance for our sins— if he needed to, to equate the scale so that justice could be served rightly, then death was the required part. Now, resurrection's only necessary because you can't leave him in the grave. It, it, you know, that doesn't make any sense. The scales aren't balanced. He was sinless. So the, the resurrection's only required because his death was the important part, right? So 
The idea then is that he's paying the price. That's the most important thing. Then we have to reconcile the brokenness. So you see how that, that question on which thing was the most important thing leads to different theologies? So what do I think? Oh, you guys got me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> because I'm a computer scientist. Who here knows about the inclusive or? Nobody. I got one. All right. The inclusive or, this is meant to make you think, oh, wow, this is horrible and I don't understand it. That's fine. That's exactly the point of this. You've heard the memes when people give you two options and people say yes, right? That's the inclusive or. The idea being, do you want, you know, chicken or waffles? You say yes, because yes, both. <laughs> it's this idea, see, Jeremy knows the inclusive or. <laughs> you weren't in here when I asked the question. The inclusive or is this idea of saying that, that of these two options, there's maybe a third way of saying that they're both valid. They both satisfy the requirements for this. This is why the story is different when Jesus is involved. We've always had a false choice. It's, it's got to be life or death. Like, that, that's all that I get. Can these bones live? It's got to be yes or no. Jesus comes in. He sees that he has authority to lay it down, and he has the authority to pick it up. He's saying, the inclusive or, I've got both. We want it to be one or the other, and we end up in drastically different places because we want to say, oh, i got to get penance for my sins, or I just want the power of God. But Jesus is saying, it's both at the same time. I realized all along that this was the story. I knew this was the narrative from the beginning. I've got the, the follow-up meme from this to, to show you the, the, the why not both. Y'all know this one? It's exactly that same idea. It, we can have both. His death and his resurrection are of so much importance, and he had authority over both. I, I would maybe argue that Jesus would not have died had he not given up his spirit. It's a weird theological point. I won't die on this hill. But it's quite possible that death could not have affected him because he was not inf infected with the sin of this world. And so how amazing that he gave up his spirit at the moment of loss. And he is not a force of nature. He is Lord of all. He has a personality. He has a will. He has a history. He has preferences. He has desires. I don't think we can find that God was required to do something. Jesus wasn't required to do this stuff. He saw it, he acknowledged it, and he did it willingly. Or else why, right? It almost, the story almost doesn't make sense, and we end up in these weird parts fighting about ourselves, about which matters the most and all this stuff, when the whole point is he is Lord of it all. He did this because this was his plan. This, he looked at, the, at the, the board game, and he says, I don't want to play that game. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're dividing yourself up. You're making these segments. I am Lord of this all. He had the desire to do it. Can Christ's bones live? Yes. And the call is not just to join him in his life, but also in his death. Not one or the other, but in both, and even both often at the same time. This is the amazing part of it. In that place, in that value, in that valley, he shows us where to step how to keep going, which way to go. What made Christ suffer? What made him acknowledge this death, this loss? When he looked at it and he wept. Yes, he had the crown of thorns. Yes, there was a spear in his side. Yes, the 39 lashes. Yes, the cross. But all of this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People had abandoned him. 
Israel wasn't faithful. And I think that this is where he had dry bones. Not just death, but dry bones, where he knew real loss, that, that there was a distance, that there was a gap, that there was sorrow and loss in a way that just pained him. And with Jesus on the cross, we can actually look at Psalm 22, which he was quoting, with fresh eyes. And this is what we see in, in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exactly what Jesus said on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Here we see the roots are good. <laughs> this was all a good story. I know how this game plays out. But here in this moment, I see this distance. The bones are dry. The goodness didn't last because of our own failure. And death is right around the corner. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him, spoken to Jesus on the cross. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All of my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It's so on the nose. It's almost painful. In verse 23, you who fear the Lord praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. What, what, the, something has shifted. You, you, you picking up on that? For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Did you know that, that line was in there? What a strange thing for anybody to say, except in this context. How amazing. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Jesus has the authority to lay it down and to pick it up again. Oh my goodness. Psalm 22 is amazing. Posterity will serve him. That's us. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This this is it. The moment of the dry bones. The moment of sorrow and loss and fear. Realizing death is there. Realizing that this is not good. And yet, he has done it. He has authority to lay it down and pick it up. So far in the series, each person has had an authority 
and each in their own story, they've had an agency to practice these things, to realize these things. Ezekiel was told to what? To prophesy to these bones, right? Prophesy to them. And we think of that maybe as like this passive thing, but he actively prophesied to these bones. He had agency, something to do. Deborah called up a general to serve as she judged Israel, to redeem Israel from the Canaanites. Nehemiah was authorized by the king of Persia to go back and oversee the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. Moses, God's spokesman, called to lead the people out of exile, given stone tablets after meeting. Paul called as the last apostle. They all had this authority that they were given to do something about this. None of these people were ever told to let go and let God. Can these dry bones live was never a call to just, well, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I'm here's hoping. <laughs> you know, none of these people were called just to just to wait it out. Just hunker down, let time time will tell. Is never the lesson. Can these bones live? What agency, what calling, what ministry, what opportunity do you have to practice who the Lord has called you to be? I'm not ragging on that doctrine too much, but Scripture really shows us people intentionally engaging in making these dry bones live. And I'm afraid, church, that we get lost in these details. The mechanics of how this works are too engrossing for us. When the bones come together, whenever the prophetic is spoken, whenever we practice these things, what does that feel like? You know, what's that experience like? Because I think that those mechanics of understanding how the Lord does things is a dividing line between presence and performance. And I want you to really hear this. It's the dividing line between Simon the sorcerer and Peter. Simon the sorcerer knew that this stuff was real, and he wanted to know how he could replicate it. That, I mean, that's a desire that I would say is kind of a good desire. Don't we all want to do what Jesus did? Like, what's wrong with that? He was so focused on those things. He, he wanted to buy with money. He's like, I need to know how to do this. I will, I will spend myself. It wasn't a tithe he was talking about. He wanted to get the mechanics down so that he could do it. What do we have with Peter? He's just doing what Jesus did. Yeah, I, I don't think he knew how to pray well. I don't think he knew how to preach well. I don't think... God bless Peter. I don't know if you've seen it in The Chosen too. Lee and I were laughing about a lot of this stuff. But all the disciples, I believe they were met less with the mechanics of these things and just with the presence of God. And it's just the idea of just, I'm going after this. But we get so hung up on these details of how do these bones look? What is the prayer that I have to pray? What, how long do I have to fast? How do I have to do all of these things? And we lose ourselves. I cannot find a first-person narrative of ministering of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and I think that matters. Now, we have experience of people saying, I got caught up into the third heaven, you know, all these sorts. Of, we, have, we have encounters of, of their experience of, of being prophesied about and all those things, but not somebody saying, I felt this, I saw this. You know, whenever they're walking by the, the temple gates and, and there's people who are wounded, it's o- almost always like just a matter of, of ease, like, hey, there's a lame person. Do you want to walk? <laughs> right? But what was that like? How, how did they put their hands on the on the broken spot? You know, what did they do? These mechanics concern us, but they're almost never co- covered in Scripture, and I think that matters. I think I can appreciate the difference between Ezekiel's "You alone know" and Christ's "I have the authority." That's why I use the illustration of Nicholas Cage, <laughs> because once Jesus is on the scene. It's not the same, thank God. I think God-fearing, humble, spirit-led disciples live with that difference. 
I might be wrong, but although we are co-heirs, although we have the same spirit, we are not the same as Jesus. Okay? We are co-heirs. We have the same spirit, the same blessing. We are not Jesus. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are, we are following him. He is the firstborn son. He, he has all that. So what do we do then? So we see him. We bear witness. We believe. We enjoy. We continue as he did. We worship. We make straight paths for him. That's what Palm Sunday was about. Seeing him, realizing who he is, that would be a whole sermon in itself, but we're not going to do that today. That we see him, that we bear witness to that. Because we bear witness, we believe, we enjoy, we partake in that. We continue as he did. We worship. We make straight paths for him. The worship team can come back up. Jesus had the dry bone experience. And he didn't skip through right to the promised land and, and act like it never happened. And as we continue, um, we don't act as if the past never happened. We don't act like the darkness is not a real thing. My own story, you know, coming back to the faith after a time of being away was realizing that the things that I have done cannot be undone. I can't turn back the clock. It's no Superman moment to try to, to reset things, to make it as if it never happened. Innocence is really no longer a part of, of that story. We've seen the, 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 the fruit of good and evil, and we said, yeah, I want both. And so even though our sins are washed clean, even though we are fully forgiven, it's not like we have that innocence. But this is the goodness. Is on the other side of that, we don't retreat back to naivety. We don't retreat back to an innocence, a time of, of not knowing what that sorrow was like. We don't forget the hard things. We walk through them. And when we cross through that valley of the dry bones with the breath of God, we find the actual kingdom of God, where we have his rule and reign, where we have as we have there in, in John 3, 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's the promise. That's the hope that from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, we have the full experience of the loss, the grief, the fear, and the blessing, and the glory, and the goodness, because the rule and reign of God cannot be ignored.